Today's scripture is about a blind man. He was blind from birth. In other words, no light. He couldn't see. And uh, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to lose any of my five senses. Um, but blindness, that would be a real challenge. And I talked to a gal in between services that um, is working through some of those things. And man, my heart goes out. Boy, I'll tell you what, the things that they do with, without sight is amazing. And, uh, but today we're going to talk about a blind man. It's in the Gospel of John which is a kind of an unfolding big God divine story and then it's made up with all these little stories inside of it to make the big story make sense. There's a lot of doctrine, theology, but these stories are pretty cool. And in fact, John 20, 30 to 31 tells us where John is going and why it was written. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's life not only somewhere out there, that's life right now when you believe in his name. So we're going to go to chapter 9 of the book of John. And it's interesting, the Bible Study Fellowship that many of you are part of just did this this week, John chapter 9. And somebody said, it's really cool how you guys coordinate with them. We didn't. And uh, we're not smart enough to do that kind of stuff. But anyhow, so those of you that have been BSF, you guys just, uh, you're along for the journey. And, and I learned a lot the other night when I went to hear the teaching on it. John chapter 9, within a larger divine big picture story is this story. And we're going to see some things about Jesus and about ourselves. So it's 41 verses, and we're going to go through all 41. I'm not going to read all 41. I'm going to read some of them. And then I'm going to tell some of the story, and hopefully it can kind of live. You've heard the statement, you can't see the forest for the trees. And that means that sometimes we get so involved in the minutia into a, a tree or two that we don't have the big picture and see the grand landscape of thing, the grand forest. I know sometimes when I'm hunting, I'll get into the trees, and that's all you can see is just tree after tree after tree. And you're looking for that hill to kind of get up above everything and be able to see the grand landscape that God had, uh, had, had designed. Well, today, we're gonna, we're gonna t- we don't want to get caught in the minutiae, into the small things, even though there's a lot of things in this story. I want to keep the big picture in mind. I was talking to Matt a little bit in preparing for this, and he said, Steve, there's this youth game that uh, the youth like to play. It's called What Is It? And they'll uh, have a, a picture, but you don't see the picture. You'll, they'll take a little picture of a little tiny segment of that picture. And then eventually they'll say, hey, what is it? And then if you guess it right, you get a prize. So we're going to do that today. I've got, a, I've got a picture I'm going to put on the screen. What is that? First service, I got some answers. A walnut, a shoe. Any, any thoughts? Big prize. You know me. I give big prizes. A what? An eye. A fishing hook. Somebody, I, I'm, sure somebody, I'm surprised somebody didn't say one of Steve's big fish. No, that's not, that's not the case. Well, here it is. Okay. And by the way, anytime you get asked a question like that in church, if you say Jesus, 90% of the time you're going to be right. <laughs> but we looked at a little tiny bit of, that, bit of that, and then it is Jesus. So today we're going to look at some little trees in the forest before we talk about the forest. And it's going to help you understand the bigger picture of who Jesus is. So before we read the first seven verses of John chapter 9 and talk about the story, I want to go into the forest a little bit and look at some individual trees. First of all, the significance of the time that this story took place in. 
A few weeks ago, Paul did a great job of, Pastor Paul did a great job of reminding us it was during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is one of the seven, it's the last one of the seven feasts that the people of God would participate in and celebrate. And if you look at John chapter 7, 8, and 9, it's kind of all around the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this is, this is the third feast, well, the last feast, but there's three that they encourage the people of God to come to Jerusalem for, and this is one of them, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Lots of people there. They're everywhere. And they lived in temporary huts, little tents or whatever they could put together. And the idea was they wanted to remember when they had to live in the wilderness, live in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. So it's a feast of tabernacles, booze, and they got a variety of names on it. And folks, it was a party. It was a big party. There was celebration. There was dancing and singing. And there was water and there was fire and there was noise. And one of the things that took place on a daily basis, every morning was this thing called the water drawing celebration. At the temple, they would worship by going and getting, I think the priest would go and take these golden pitchers and scoop water out of the pool of Siloam, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And they would come, and it was sweet, pure water, and they'd come and they'd pour it on the altar into the basins. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, the seventh day of the feast, big celebration of the water drawing, it was loud, it was celebrative, the pool of Siloam water, the priest is pouring it, and probably they timed all the sacrifices right at the same time being laid on that altar, all the people are around, and people are giving praise from the Psalms, and Isaiah 12, 3 is being shouted out, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, with joy shall ye draw water from the wells of salvation. The Talmud says this, it says, He who has not seen joy of the water-drawing celebration has never seen joy in his life. It was a big Deal. So you got the picture a little bit. One little tree here. Well, it was at that point in the particular festival, the Feast of Booths, that Jesus cries out, probably from a prominent place. He says this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So he identifies himself kind of as the living water at this particular time and, and all that that means. Also in the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these giant oil lamps. They were talked about as well. And uh, somebody came up afterwards and said, Steve, I did a little study on those, and I think they were like 70 feet high, seven basketball goals high. That's pretty up there. And they would light these giant oil lamps, and they said it would literally light up the whole city of Jerusalem. So big celebration. And it was at this time that Jesus spoke again in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's talking about spiritual darkness and spiritual life. So that gives you a little bit of the setting of when this was taking place, the story we're going to talk about. And then another little tree we want to talk about in the forest is the Pharisees. Uh, another word for them was the separatists. They were an ancient Jewish religious sect distinguished by strict observance to the traditional law. Stuff in the Old Testament, good stuff. But the problem was, is they added to that law and made it incredibly burdensome. And they were influential, they were powerful, they were strict, they were legalistic. And oftentimes they, they were known for being overly scrupulous to those little minutia laws and often hypocritical. They'd say, this is what you're supposed to do, but they wouldn't do it themselves. Almost from day one, they opposed Jesus and Jesus opposed them. So. And you can read about what he said about them in Matthew chapter 23. Now, where this comes in is these Pharisees are a big part of the story. And one of the things that just irritates them is that this miracle that takes place was done on the Sabbath. That's the day of rest. You don't mess with that one. 
And it's a great rhythm to have the day of Sabbath, but they took it and made it uh, something that was just like, you just can't, you can't, you can't do this. It's just burdensome. Um, they got to where they defined exactly what you couldn't and could and couldn't do on that Sabbath day. And if you did a little bit more than that, it's called work. And then you broke the Sabbath, and that's wrong. I read in my reading a couple of things. They said one could get milk enough for one swallow on the Sabbath. That was it. You go a swallow and a half, you broke the Sabbath. <laughs> you could carry a spoon weighing no more than a fig. There you go. You can just get the feel of just how much minutia there was and how burdensome these little rules would be. But that's the Pharisees, kind of the religious leaders of the day. Another tree that we need to see before we see the forest is at this particular time, Jesus had a target on his back. I mean, he, they were out to get him. In chapter 8, he identifies him, his oneness with God. And when he made these statements that, uh, for instance, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Big statement that he was God. And, of course, the religious leaders picked up on that, saw it as blasphemy. And then it says in verse 59, right before this story of chapter 8, it says, At this they, the Jews influenced by the Pharisees' teachings, picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him. And you can see that all through chapter 7, 8, and 9. So Jesus had a target on his back. They had a bias against him. And then blind people. we got to look at this. People who had physical disabilities at, time were, at that time were seen as under the judgment of God for their sin. In other words, the reason they got that disability is because of their sin. They were considered unclean. So you can imagine the social, the relational, the religious, the vocational ramifications of blindness. You, 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 couldn't, you were unclean, couldn't go to church, so to speak. Um, you were kind of tossed out of your family. You had to beg. You had to do all these things. Uh, just a tough, tough life for the blind people at that time. And then another little tree in the forest that I thought might, might as well talk about this ahead of time so when we read it, it makes sense. And I put down mudology and spitology, <laughs> the study of mud and the study of spit. And people say, why did he scoop some dirt, stick some spit on it, or his spit, rub it together, make a little clay or whatever, and put it on the blind guy's eye? I don't know for sure, but one thing that, two things that grabbed my attention. One is, Jesus seemed to heal in different ways each time, and I, I think he kind of wanted to make sure everybody know, knew that it wasn't the, kind of the, what he did and how he did it was the big thing, but that he did it and why he did it. Does that make sense? But the other thing is the Sabbath thing. I think he was, he was kind of getting in their face a little bit, these Pharisees, because they're going, oh, wait a minute, he scooped some dirt up, he put some spit in there, he made this, he's kneading like kneading bread. That's obviously against the Sabbath. And so I think he, I think he kind of did it just to kind of get in their face a little bit. So modology and spitology, the study of. Then Pool of Siloam. Remember the Feast of Tabernacles we talked about? Okay, that was the pure, clear spring of water there in Jerusalem that was used at that particular time. And this is where Jesus, the one who was sent by the Father, sends this man, as we'll see, and the pool itself, the meaning means sent. So there's kind of a connection there. And then finally, at the end of this story, he's going to talk about being the Son of Man. And we, we look at that, and we're going, wait a minute, I thought he was the Son of God. Well, it was interesting. The kids actually had both of those terms in one of their little statements that they made, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, it, it refers to Jesus' humanness. And he was the son of God, but he also was the son of man. And that's one of the mysteries of the faith is that he's both God and man. It also reflects Daniel's prophecies about being the son of man. 
and the, and the vision of the Son of Man, the Messiah that was coming. And he would come with judgment and he'd come with authority. And so Jesus was identifying himself as fulfilling that particular fro- prophecy. All right, so those are some of the individual trees that you got to see before you can see kind of the, the forest. And so we look at this and we're going, this whole story is authenticating his claim to be the light of the world. So let me read now, and hopefully that'll make some sense now as we do it. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. As he went along, that's Jesus. Feast of Tabernacles is probably pretty much done. A lot of people around. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. As long as it is today, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And verse 8, and everyone that saw this event said, wow, this Jesus is God. He is the light of the world. And they were all so happy for the blind man, praising God and giving thanks. This is great. And they all followed Jesus and lived happily ever after. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) This is where it gets crazy. And man, it just turns into conflict city. And I don't know if you noticed, but at least not recorded, there's not one person that said, hey, Mr. Blind Man, we are sure happy for you. There's not one person that said, wow, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are great. You should be worshiped. It is conflict city around the Prince of Peace. Okay, pull back a little bit, the bigger picture. Remember, Jesus was using this scenario. He actually tells you why he's doing this in verse 3 to 5, to show the works of God. God had sent him to earth, will only be here for just a short little period of time in this dark world to show all that he is the light of the world, God in the flesh. And by the way, we only have a short time as well in our little world, which is dark, and we need to reflect that light of the world as our witness in this dark world that we live in. All right, let's dig back in. Like any story, there are people involved. We've got Jesus, of course. We've got disciples, the followers of Jesus who are with him. We've got the blind man. We've got neighbors that knew the blind man and were just kind of around this area. We've got the blind man's parents. And we have the Pharisees, as we talked about. And each of them seems to have a little different view of what's going on. And it's more than just fascinating. It's illuminating. I mean, the light kind of shines through how they respond. So in order for me to to do this message well, I felt like I needed to become a little bit of what we're talking about. So I I, I decided to take a little time and become uh, blind for a season during the weeks leading up to it. So I got myself a blindfold which, to be honest with you, and this one didn't work too well. I could cheat a little bit. This one worked really well. This was black. Now, I've had incredible eyesight most of my life. I I can tell it's dimming a little bit with my age. uh, But I wanted to kind of get that feeling of what this blind man was experiencing, go into his sandals a little bit. So I blindfolded myself for a few hours on the journey. And a few things that I did, I think, are going to show them on the screen. And some things work better than others. I'm I'm driving. That didn't work too well. Um... (laughs) 
There I'm sitting in my house with that blindfold on. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I played pickleball. You can see the ball going by me. And actually, I did pretty well there. The guys I played with, it was no problem. I handled them pretty well. <laughs> but I, uh, I, also, I also, you know, when you're downtown, and man, I'm going, you punch that little button and it says, wait, wait. I thought, I want to experience that. That was terrifying. That was terrifying. I went down by Jake's Friday night. Luke was taking the picture, and he was of no help. And I... <laughs> And I had my golf club, and I walked across there. And three cars went behind me. I didn't know it. I saw it later in the little video. That was terrifying. And I thought, man, these people have to work hard when they don't have their sight. This is a tough thing. I spent 45 minutes in my home. I, I set the clock. I said, hey, Siri, um, set the clock for 845. I thought, I'll go 45 minutes, see how it goes. And I was sitting in my Lazy Boy chair, and I go, no, Steve, you've got to get up and experience what it's like. So I got up, and I started milling around, and and I knocked things off the wall in the kitchen. I kicked my dog in the head. I felt bad about that. I went downstairs, totally dark. Um, that was really tough. Kind of felt my way around, found the little bathroom downstairs where I could brush my teeth. Uh, brush my teeth, watched the Philadelphia-Dallas game, which, once again, didn't miss much there. Um, <laughs> I did not do well. It's a challenge. It was a challenge. It, it, it really, there, there was panic in me. And when I took off everything and I, I looked I, and I thought, oh man, I'm so glad. Oh, there, that's right. That's there. I should have thought of that, you know. Uh, it's a different world. I looked at my sweatshirt. I had toothpaste from here to here. All over my pants was toothpaste. I almost used my Voltaren. I almost put it on my toothbrush. Um, all sorts of things were happening. And my heart went out to those who do not have sight. It's tough. So as a blind person in that time in history, add all of those things to it, but you're from, from birth. Man, I mean, that is this man, and this man was looked upon as one who had sinned, so he always had that stigma on him. He was under the judgment of God, at least the view of the people for that sin, not a part of a church. He was unclean, couldn't be. He was humiliated in his life. He had to sit and hope, most of the time by the temple gates, just hoping somebody would give something to him so he could live on it. He's begging. Tough life. And one day while begging, I got to believe this man sensed that something was stirring in the area. And this man called Jesus, and I think he had heard of him because Jesus was stirring the, the culture at that time. And there was controversy and there's things happening. So I believe he had heard of him. And of all the fellow beggars, he's not the only one in the world out there. There was a lot of people with maladies at that particular time. He stops by this blind man and he sees the blind man. And I believe the blind guy could hear Jesus' disciples. Sometimes when you lose a sense, you get more acute in other senses, and I think his hearing was probably amazing. And I believe the blind guy could hear Jesus' disciples asking that questions and knowing that they were a little agitated. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, no doubt he loved the rabbi's answer when the rabbi says, neither. But his blindness happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I got to believe he was thinking, my goodness, there might be something big that happens because of this situation in my life. God's going to use this for something bigger and could bring some fame to God. Well, this man called Jesus also identified himself as the light of the world. He heard that. Now imagine the blind guy then heard some shuffling since the people were moving around. I got to believe people are a little quiet. What's this Jesus going to do? Pharisees are probably standing like that. And this blind guy hears some shuffling and he sensed the man was getting close to him. He hears some stuff going on in the dirt down there. Might have heard Jesus spit, okay? And he sensed that Jesus was coming to him. He could sense that. And the next thing he knew, this Jesus man was putting some moist mud on his eyes 
It was made from spittle and the dirt on the ground. He felt him spread it on both eyes. That had to be kind of weird, to be honest with you. Both eyes. And then he heard this Jesus man say two commands. He said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. We talked about the pool of Siloam, sent. What would you have done? I'll tell you what. After just an hour or two being blind, I would have done anything to get my sight back. So he chose to obey this Jesus man. Why not? What would he have to lose? So he did. Now, did people help him get there? And I don't know exactly how far it was from where he was to the pool of Siloam. I've heard, most of the time I've heard a third of a mile up to two miles. But anyhow, it was a little bit of a walk. So it wasn't just like we go from here right to the pool. He had to go someplace. He had to walk. Were people helping him? Hey, come on, I'll help you. Were they heckling him? Oh, brother, what are you doing? You know, you just don't know. But he went and washed. And then it says, and now he could see, fully see. Once again, no rejoicing of anybody mentioned, no giving of praise to God. And then there's this weird series of an interrogation goes on, questions and answers, trying to disprove this miracle, try to figure out what was going on. The first group of people were his neighbors. They're going, really? <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some of them are going, yeah, that's the guy. We know him. He's our neighbor. It's him, all right. But others said, no, you must have a lookalike. It can't be him. So was, you might have had a doppelganger out there. That's what they were saying. But the blind man insisted, I am the man, were insisted. Well, they questioned him again, how were your eyes open? He told him the story. A man called Jesus made some mud out of his spit, put it on my eyes, said, go to Siloam and wash. I did, and then I could see. Well, where is this man now, the neighbor asked, neighbors asked. I don't know. I don't know. Well, the neighbors weren't satisfied, so they took him, the blind man, to the Pharisees. These are the wise ones. These are the know-it-alls in the community. These were highly influential, powerful people, the interpreters of society at that particular time. And remember, they had a bias against Jesus. They were out to destroy him. So they quizzed the fella. How did you receive your sight? You can almost hear him. Verse 15, he put mud on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. Simple facts. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Created a division in the Pharisees. This is a wild adventure. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, that little rules and regulations thing with the law. Others in the group said, no, a sinner could not perform such miraculous signs. There was division in the Pharisees. Well, the side that says this man is not from God kind of won out, as we see in the Scripture. Verse 17, the Pharisees go back to the blind guy. All right, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he's opened. The blind guy, I don't know if he stumbled and thought a little bit, hey, he's got to be a prophet. That was, in his mind, it was probably the biggest, the highest level you could get. He's got to be a prophet. Verse 18, they still did not believe that that miracle like this had happened, that he was blind and could now see. So they brought the blind man's parents over. All right, come in here. They questioned them, is he, if he was their boy or not, and was he born blind? And they said, yep, that's our boy, and yep, he was born blind. But other than that, we don't know much. And we don't know how he can now see, and we don't really know who pulled this off. And you can almost sense they begin to distance themselves from the situation by saying, ask our boy, he's of age. And it was brought to my attention that he's of age means he was at least 13 years old. In other words, he can speak for himself. Ask him. We don't know. But why did they distance himself from their boy at that particular time? Why did they distance himself from stepping up and saying, man, that guy there healed my son, 
That guy there has got something special going on. Verse 22 says, his parents said this, go ask the boy, we don't know, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Much fear. They're going to get tossed out of the church, so to speak. They would lose friends and relationships that they had. They would be ostracized for their view, possible loss of business. So it was a serious thing. I don't think we appreciate sometimes what was on the line. It was a big deal. So the parents were totally full of fear. And the blind man we see is fearless. A second time, the Pharisees, come here, blind guy. The only way you can come clean before God is by acknowledging that this Jesus is a sinner. In other words, they felt he was lying. Now just come clean before God and man and say that he was a sinner. And I love this blind guy. He had some spunk. He had some zip in his soul. Don't know about him being a sinner or not, but one thing I do know. One thing I do know. Don't know much. This is a fact. You can take this one to the bank. I was blind, but now I see. Wow. They asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And it's like the blind guy, deep within his soul, had just had enough, enough. Might have had a little bit of the challenger personality in him as you look at this. I love it. He kind of turns the tables on them and gets in their grill. He's, he's fearless. So what has he got to lose? Verse 27, hey, I've already told you. You're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You talk about poking the bear. <laughs> I mean, boy. And maybe the blind guy is starting to acknowledge his desire to follow Jesus. I don't know exactly what's going on in his heart. Well, then things got real messy. These Pharisees, these law people, man, they just came after him verbally. He said, you are this fellow's disciple, which would mean almost death to him. We are disciples of Moses, the law. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then the blind man seems to call their bluff. I like this. It's like he pulls off their blindfold and he says, this is, this is amazing. This is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Can't be a sinner because God would not listen to a sinner. He's teaching them. He would listen to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. In fact, they believe this is the first time. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Aren't you guys the smart ones? <laughs> Aren't you guys the smart ones? I thought you could pick this up. And they probably, I think they should have known. They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 35, it is talking about this one that's coming, this Messiah. It says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. So he's living out what the prophecies talked about. And bam, that's it. They jumped on this once blind man. And they went back to what they'd said first of all. You are steeped in sin from birth. You were steeped in sin from birth. How dare you? And I put these words in myself. You unclean, mere mortal, lecture us. It's like we've got our degrees. You don't have anything. And they threw him out. He's gone. Out of the synagogue. Well, he wasn't part of the synagogue to begin with. But if he was thinking about joining up, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Imagine the blind guy again. Hey, I don't know how, many, how long this took, maybe an hour? I don't know. A little while ago, you were blind, you couldn't see, and begging, not a real high vocation. You were looked down upon by the people. You were pretty miserable life, experienced pretty miserable life. And this man, Jesus, his name, 
potential prophet, not a sinner, maybe of God, showed up and healed your blindness. Nobody's happy for you. Nothing but interrogation since that point. Neighbors are wondering what went on. These are the guys that know you. Parents sort of walked away from you out of fear. Religious folks are turning away from you. You're tossed out of the religious system of the day. I got to believe you went, oh, man, what just happened here? I, I, I was just blind and I got healed because of this Jesus. And then all of this stuff happened. And I'd like to pause here just for a moment. A lot of times when we, when we are called to come to Jesus, we think, hey, every problem in my life is going to go away. I'll tell you what, I look at this and I'm going, it almost gets worse. <laughs> but you've got the light in your heart and you can handle whatever comes your way. But it's cool that Jesus began to look for this seeing man now when he heard that he'd been tossed out of the religious community of the time. Found him. Now he asks him a question. And I, and I love this. Jesus, God in the flesh, checks on this fella who now is sort of all alone by himself again, even though he's seeing. Jesus asked him, one-on-one, -on -one, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now that's a term we talked about, a term for God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, both Son of Man and Son of God. And I believe it was at this particular time was the first time this man had actually seen the physical Jesus. I think Jesus had moved away when he went and washed and came back seeing, but this is the first time, I believe, because he didn't recognize him and the seeing man didn't recognize him. Well, he asked Jesus, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I'm the man. Now Jesus, now the blind guy not only sees him physically, but now he sees him spiritually. His eyes are open. He can see who this Jesus is. And verse 38 is a great one. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He confessed that Jesus is Lord. He believed and committed himself to him. And I don't know if he fell down or not, but he expressed his worship to him. I look at this and I'm going, you can just kind of almost see the scales or the blindfolds being taken off the blind guy as he went along. He no doubt had probably heard of Jesus when he was, when he was uh, begging at the temple. He probably heard of this Jesus. And then when he comes into his presence, when he's still blind, it's the man they call Jesus. And then he becomes a miracle worker to him. And he might be a prophet. He's definitely not a sinner. He probably is a man from God. Well, he's the son of man. He's God in the flesh. Lord, I believe and I worship no fear, but faith. I'll tell you, when I had these blindfolds on, especially in the house, well, even crossing the street downtown, when I had this, this on, you didn't have to ask me twice to take it off when my Siri said, hey, it's 845. I mean, that thing went off, and man, oh, man, oh, boy, I'm so glad I can see again. And part of that is I was afraid of what could happen in the dark. There were some consequences of being in the dark. I could have fallen down the stairs. Who knows what could have happened? I could have been hit by a car downtown. So there were some negative consequences to staying in the dark. But then I also noticed is I just want to, I just want to see. I just want to see the stuff in my life again. You couldn't, you couldn't, you didn't have to ask me twice to take it off. I just peeled that thing off and whew, could see again. I don't think anybody, if they had the opportunity to see physically that they would say nope i want to stay where i am once a man i admire those that have to battle through that in their life but i was thinking about spiritually a lot of us have blindfolds on they're there we know it we don't see jesus like we should we've allowed things to come into our life that just cloud the vision of the light of life in our in our in our heart and life we, we we've just got that and 
He's putting his finger on things in our life to remove so we can see him clear and walk in the light better. But no, we, we kind of turn a blind eye to it and we just keep walking in the darkness. And man, there are negative consequences of that, especially for people who have yet to put their faith in Jesus and say, hey, Lord, I believe and worship him. The danger, man, not only now but forevermore, it's, 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 it's scary. The negative, the benefits you miss, all the things you have an opportunity to see when you have Jesus as the light of your heart. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. He says, the eye, what we see is the lamp of the body, the lamp of our life. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body, your life will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Man, blindfold. They do not know over what they stumble. Don't you know what they're stumbling over? Not a way to live. Deuteronomy 28, 29, if you walk in the light of God and follow his ways, if you do not walk in the light of God and follow his ways, at midday you will grope around, supposedly when the lights are on, you'll grope around like a blind person in the dark. 1 John 1, 5, a little more positive, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's no time for us to turn a blind eye to the light of the world and say, no, nah, I'm just going to keep these blindfolds on, keep living life, and the consequences are too great, the things we miss are too great. The parents in this story, they had this fear of messing up their kind of fairly comfortable life in the community. They can't give up that. I'd rather just turn a blind eye to this light of the world person named Jesus. The Pharisees, man, they fear all over their life, fear of losing their influence and role in society to this Jesus guy. He's going to replace their rule and reign, which is what Jesus came to do. And the fear of having to admit that they were wrong, and Jesus is right up. We're not going there. Rather than believing by faith, taking off the blindfold, taking the mud out of their eyes, and follow his light. I ask this question of myself, I ask it of you. Is there anything so important to you that you would actually stumble around in the dark and dismiss the light of Christ in your life? Jesus said in the final verses here, it's kind of, it's kind of a conundrum. You can look into it on your own, but for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. It's almost like he's saying, those that are blinded admit it. Spiritually, I want to give you the light. But those that think they're seeing, you're blind. You're blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what, are we blind too? Like, it couldn't be. We've got the degrees. We know all things. And Jesus said, if you were blind, in other words, if you knew you were blind, you then would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, you got it all together, your guilt remains. Matthew 9, 13 says, For I have not come to call the righteous, the self-righteous, those that don't need a Savior, but to sinners who say, yeah, I need a Savior. What could possibly be worth us keeping our blindfold on or keeping mud in our eye and missing out of the light of the world? Lord, I believe, I worship. We've been uh, lighting the candles during the holiday season, the Advent calendar, calendar, candles as we're 
getting ready for the arrival of Jesus, and we'll light the big white one, which represents Christ on Christmas Eve, but we've done joy, the, the joy that we receive when we, we put our faith in Jesus and he comes into our life, and then hope. Man, that's just great. And then last week, we talked about the peace we can have, and this story today reminds us that, you know, you will get the peace deep within, but it doesn't make things necessarily peaceful around us. Um, this world does not understand Christ, and we're living in a dark world, and we don't mesh too well. So that peace comes deep within, not necessarily in all the relationships we have. And then today is the candle of love. I'd like you to bow your head for a moment and close your eyes and give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on these things a little bit. Man, is there anything in your life that the Holy Spirit of God is coming to you and saying, hey, we need to get that mud out of your eye. That's, 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 that's keeping you from seeing me clearly and my ways clearly. What in the world would be that important that you'd want to keep that? Man, turn it over to him. Confess it. Let him forgive. And then if you're here today and you know there's been many occasions in your life where you've heard this message about what Jesus can do in your heart and for whatever reason, I don't know what your reason is, but You've stiff-armed him and said, nah, I'm going to distance myself from him. The cost is too great. If I can't do that. That's going to change my family dynamics. I'm not going to do that. I, people could make fun. I don't know what the deal is, but is it really worth it? Not living in the light. I encourage you to fall before him today in your heart and say, Lord, I believe. And then worship him. Need your help, Lord, at this point. Um, we can't heal ourselves spiritually. We often think we can, but we need you, what you can do. So we're opening ourselves up to you today to speak to us. Every one of us, shine your light into our world and help us see what right now we're, is a blind spot or we're turning a blind eye to and help us to correct it and walk in the light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.